and welcome to Should I Stay or Should I Go? The podcast providing you with expert career insight and advice from senior people in the fields of insurance and risk management to help you make the right career decisions. Hosted by founder and managing partner of Key Strategies LLC, Mike Tenenbaum. Featuring interviews with those at the top of their game, each podcast explores topical issues coupled with specialist guidance on making your next move in the corporate risk management, insurance brokerage, and the insurance carrier sectors. A seasoned recruiter, Mike Tenenbaum has over 30 years of experience in sourcing top insurance and risk management talent for world-class Fortune 500 companies throughout the US. This experience makes your host the perfect person to kickstart the conversations that will give you the wisdom you need to decide, should I stay or should I go? We're here live this afternoon at the New York Marriott Marquis, where I am with Lance Ewing, who is Executive Vice President of Global Risk Management and Client Service for Cotton Holdings, which is a global business continuity and disaster recovery services company. Lance, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mike. It's absolutely always great to see you. Well, it's great to see you as well, and I appreciate you making some time for me on your stopover in New York. And I uh, feel fortunate that I'm actually based in this area, so I get to see people as they come through. Absolutely, good good synergies, and great thing great things happen when two great minds get together. Awesome, awesome. So you know, um, as we've talked about in the past, you you've got one of these unique kinds of roles because you have dual responsibility. It sounds like for corporate risk management and everything that goes along with that, but you're also doing this client service kind of piece and and there's a sales orientation to that. So maybe we could just start by, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're doing in your company and how all that fits together. Oh, thanks. And um, again, I, I appreciate it. And actually, I want to thank you very much for the invitation, but also for what you do for our industry. Um, the risk management community thrives on the fact of learning and education. And one of the things that I've always prided myself on saying about Mike Tannenbaum is the fact that he absolutely is the epitome of what it is to be a great mentor and a coach. And I think you've coached so many of us in the risk management field. Uh, we almost think like most of us should uh, send you thank you notes on a regular <laughs> basis. So I want to appreciate what you do for our industry overall. So I appreciate it much. Well, thank you for saying that. No. Um, so my company, so Cotton Holdings Company, we're a diversified corporation. We're privately held. We're headquartered in Houston, Texas. And um, we have, as you alluded to, the disaster restoration side, which makes up a large component of, of how our company operates. So if a major disaster happens from a property loss standpoint, whether it's CAT, and even a minor loss that could occur as well too, um, we provide that we come in, we triage the situation, we get you back to normal, we get our clients back to normal and back to working as quickly as we possibly can. We're turnkey in many ways where we give the ability for them to just simply say, here's the mess, please clean it up. And so we're solution-based and that's what we drive. One of the things about our company is we always look for um, ways to say yes. And no is not part of our lexicon in the company overall. So we figure out a way in order to be solution-driven and solution-oriented. So that's the restoration piece. So if there's a flood, a fire, um, you know, a disease, uh, whatever it is, mold, asbestos, we can do all those type of things, which is absolutely brilliant for folks that 
do have those losses on a regular basis. And then we can also do the putback. We can rebuild it again. Um, we can put in the drywall. We have a whole construction license and whole construction team. So we do that roofing um, from roof to concrete, all that. And then we're sort of diversified in the sense that we also have a catering and logistics company. And a lot of people scratch their head and say, how does that, those two fit together? Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that we can provide is, is if there is a loss, a major loss, we can feed the employees at that major plant if there's an explosion or if there's something in regards to that. We've, we've actually fed the community. We also feed FEMA workers. In addition to that, in the hospitality vertical, many times, um, let's say, I'll use an example. Let's say there's a large hotel that has a fire in the kitchen. Our company comes in and takes care of the fire and all that, but there's nothing wrong with the hotel. So we can provide a 52-foot trailer that's a kitchen, and we can feed all of the guests, we can feed the employees, and we can take care of everyone there, and they never miss a beat. And that cuts down on the, bus the business um, interruption. And also, insurance carriers love that kind of thing because you're not closed. So there's still heads in beds, you know, and so we can continue to do those type of things. That's really awesome. So, um, so you take a 52-foot trailer. Right. And it's a kitchen. It's a kitchen. Yes. And it has everything that any other kitchen would have. Right. And, and you can provide, I guess, the chefs and all of that, or you could use the hotel chefs. We, right. We have chefs on our staff at Cotton. We have great chefs and they wonderful food. Let me just tell you, it's not, it's, it's not your high school meal, right. <laughs> but you know, great food. Um, but we can also turn key that we can simply hand the keys and say, there's your kitchen. If you, whatever hotel chain wants to use that facility, absolutely go ahead and, you know, we'll be happy to, to do that for you. Wow. So, and we do that not just for the hospitality industry, but also for multifamily units, condos, those type of things as well. Um, we also feed our own employees, which is good as well, because it guess what? It keeps them on, on site. They're not wandering off finding a quick casual used to be known as fast food, but quick casual restaurant somewhere um, for lunch. So that's one of the things. We also have another vertical um, for oil, the oil and gas industry. We provide base camps. So if um, a large oil and gas company would discover oil or gas somewhere, not even close to any town somewhere, we basically build a city for them. We provide the housing for their 300 to 400 people that are there, going to be working there. We provide the food services. We provide housekeeping for them. Um, we provide, we build baseball fields and tennis courts because they're going to be there five, seven, eight years. There's a large Canadian company that's trying to put a pipeline through the United States. You might have heard of that. Um, <clears throat> and we are working with them in order to provide a thousand people who will be actually housed there for three to five years in order to build that pipeline. And we have about seven to nine of those locations around the United States. So, wow. and we're also very global. We're in Mexico, we're in Puerto Rico as well too. We've done work in foreign countries as well, but um, you know, we, 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 we feel the best thing is to get a company back up and running. So that's kind of the company side of things of what we do. And we're a growing company. We've doubled in size over the last three years. Um, we currently have, I believe at last count, we have over a hundred positions currently available. Sorry, none of them are risk oh. management. So <laughs> yeah, so sorry, Mikey. I don't have any risk management positions open right now you to know, give you. You know, you just, just got my ears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, from a recruiting standpoint, but <clears throat> excuse me, um, we're just such a large footprint company, and we're, we're, we 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 feel very strong, and we're closing in on our 25 year anniversary coming up. So we're very happy with the company. As far as my role is concerned, they never had a true risk manager. 
And they brought me in about three and a half years ago to help in that risk management vertical to make, um, to get the company, whether the size was large enough, the number of employees, the footprint was big enough to have one. And in the industry, I was one of the first to have that for them to have risk management. So my normal risk management responsibilities, but also things like a risk register, where are our top priorities from risk? Where are they not? Enterprise risk management, discussing that with accounting, those type of things. And then, um, I also uh, oversaw for, for a period of time, and then I'm easing that back into the human resource side, um, employee benefits. So the 401k program, the medical programs, taking us from fully funded to a self-funded program, all of those things came into that as well. And that dovetails nicely. I mean, there are those, I'm sure, in your audience that are out there that have maybe dual responsibilities of employee benefits and risk management. Wearing both of those hats, it can leave you bald is what can happen. And quite frankly, I know about that. So but, that's, how yeah, that so that's how that happened. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, but, but because they're, it, it, they intertwine with each other and it's good. I think it's very good for the employees to know that there's one stop, whether they're injured at home or not injured at home, or if they're on the job, those type of things. And then you've alluded to the uh, customer or a client service type of things. I think in my viewpoint and having been in risk management for a number of years, every risk manager has to be able to sell. And, and I don't mean like you got to sell widgets or you got to sell pencils or something like that, is the ability to connect with people and that ability to um, not sell just a product and a service, which is what a part of my role is. I have a list of clients who are my clients for cotton. I help bring revenue into the bottom line. I'm not always just saving money on the on the risk management side. My deal is, is to bring in some revenue to the company and more importantly, offer to our clients a service and a solution that they need and that they want. And it's also something I look at from my risk management colleagues when I speak to them about the services Cotton can provide is what can I lift off your plate? You have as a risk manager for a large company, you've got a lot on your day-to-day -day plate. What is it that I can come in with my company, my resources, my values, my personnel, my, and, and to help you to sleep a little better at nighttime knowing it's taken care of, if you will. And, and I think that's a service that, I, that we offer. And again, to your point, you know, customer service um, is not something you normally see in a job description for a risk manager. I mean, you've placed a lot of people, but you don't see that. I really think that's starting to become more of a requirement of an ability both internally to cut service your customers as well as externally in some ways to generate revenue. So that's really interesting. So, you know, while you're telling me all these different things that you're involved in, I'm thinking about what is it about your background that enabled you to move into such a role that to me sounds very unique? Well, I, I, I've, as most people who know me, I've, I, I like people, um, you know, and if, uh, you know, I, it usually, as I kiddingly say, it takes me 20 minutes to say hello to somebody because I'm interested in them. And, you know, it's sort of my, my, parental mother's upbringing, which was, you know, if it, if it's moving, you hugged it and said hello. And if it wasn't, you dusted it off and sold it. Right. So I think that's kind of how that was, was built. So, and she, she raised me on guilt and respect, those two things. So I, um, you know, I, I've, I've always enjoyed dealing with people and engaging with them. Now I can't say that was always a quid pro quo. They always didn't like engaging with me, but some people, right. I, I just enjoy well, you know, some people, I yeah, just some people, you know, um, it, it, my, my, my philosophy is, is they, is they always have an interesting story. So whether it's a flight attendant on a plane, whether it's a bartender somewhere, 
I just enjoy hearing the conversation and learning about those people. Um, and, and yes, I do a lot of speaking, but I also do a lot of listening. And I think that listening is an important ingredient that, you know, is, is integral to how I even found the risk management side of things. And, you know, you and I have talked before, I, I think many times in some cases that the career finds you, you don't always chase the career. I didn't start out at wanting to be in risk management. I couldn't spell it. I mean, the only thing I knew about insurance was, is they sucked a lot of my money from my, uh, my Barracuda when I was a teenager. So for those of you that are younger than 30, a Barracuda was actually a car. It was a fast car from years ago, um, which I wrecked two weeks after having. So oh, I no. learned all about the insurance industry on that side. So, and my dad, um, he, uh, he, he raised me on the, uh, board of education known as his hands. Okay. So anyway, but, um, so I, I think that, you know, my background and my, my lending itself more towards enjoying being with people and finding out what their issues are, where there are problems at, and can I offer a viable solution? Now, anybody that's raised teenage daughters knows that that always doesn't work because they don't want your advice, right? And there's some clients and I have two teen, two daughters and, and they don't always take your advice, which is fine. And I, I don't, I don't take rejection really that easily. I mean, I, I get told no all the time. Again, go back to teenage daughters. I get told no constantly. So I, I find that my background in dealing with people really is, has been helpful for me throughout my entire career and being able to identify with boards of directors, audit committees, all the way down to receptionists at front desks. I think that's, that, that, that's helped me. Yeah, that sounds it. And uh, so what you're saying is, you know, when you when I asked the question about the skill set and your background and all of that, I wasn't necessarily thinking about that. What, you know, your answer was well, all about the softer skills, your interpersonal skills, your interest in people and all. I was thinking more well, from a technical standpoint, when you when you're with a company that has those kinds of risks, such as the ones that, that you're facing now, you know, um, that's uh, I think it takes the right kind of person to be able to take their background from wherever it happened to be from. And you have a diverse background, which we'll talk about, you know, and some of your other experiences, but you know, it really comes down to your ability to relate to people that right. makes the difference in your being able to be successful. I think in any risk management role. I, I do as well too. And I think the technical skills are, can be learned skills. As I mentioned, I didn't know much about insurance at all. Today, I, I, I know enough, right? But I'm, I'm always in a learning environment. And I think that's a, maybe a soft skill, but also a, a hard skill. So when I didn't know a lot about finance, I went to the community college and took a finance class. Had no idea. It wasn't my DNA, et cetera. And I, I have two master's degrees, so I love education. I love the opportunity to learn and to grow. So I think that's part of it. I, I think the technical skills in our in our discipline, if you will, um, is something you can learn because we're always learning. Risks are changing, policies are changing constantly. There's new endorsements being put out. There's there's companies that are saying, we don't want to write that anymore, we'll write it at a certain level. So I, I think there's a lot of learning on that side. And that's those strong technical skills. And I think you need to have that, but that softer skill, and I think we're moving towards that and that leadership ability, the ability to identify with people, the ability to, if you will, move a, an idea forward. And that idea may come from risk management. It may come from the C-suite. So I, I think that's going to be an important element going forward. Um, I love the insurance side of it, but that to me in a risk management role, and I, I think most risk managers would tell you that insurance is only one, one arrow in the quiver of risk management. I mean, we utilize that, 
But there's other things that we need to utilize as well, whether it's from resources, from a risk transfer standpoint, whether it's accepting certain risks, um, whether it's acknowledging the risk, but not doing anything about it. Company's okay with that. So it's a matter of understanding your company's risk tolerance and aligning the, uh, the insurance strategies, the risk strategies with the strategy of the organization. Right. And every industry is going to be different. And, and I don't think all the time you have to be industry knowledgeable, I think, across the board. And that goes to that softer skill plus the insurance side, whether it's um, whether it's in construction or whether it's in healthcare. Risks are going to be different, but how you approach those risks and how you're able to deliver that is the important key ingredient, I think, that comes along with that. So that's a really good point, and it's a point that I like to make now with, with each of these episodes, because mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm on a little bit of a mission to, to help enlighten people in this one particular topic. You know, what does it take to be successful as a risk manager? And the reason I feel is this is such an important topic is, is because every time I get a search, for a director of risk management or really any type of person, but more so at the senior levels. The first criteria that I'm told is they want someone with their particular industry experience. Right. And, you know, that's a really important thing. And I understand why. I mean, they feel like it's important to understand the business that they're in. And certainly as a, as a successful risk manager, you're going to have to understand the business of your employer. Right. Right. But whether you need that understanding coming in the door is the point that I'm feeling is is not necessarily as important as a lot of people seem to think it is. And so the typical progression with a search that I work on is we start out, you know, bringing candidates in who have the, the industry experience and they have a particular background. And then I always, to the best of my ability, like to make it a requirement that they also consider people who don't have the industry experience. Because I've always felt, and I think a lot of people have agreed that I've talked to about this, is, you know, you get new ideas, new approaches, new ways of looking at things from people. And if you have the right person who's more process driven, right. um, as opposed to, you know, stuck in, in one particular way of doing something, mm -hmm. then, you know, you get some creative ways of, of managing a problem and finding a solution. Right. I, I think sometimes you can get myopic in a sense of, of what I call fog of industry, where you are locked into an industry and whatever everybody else is swimming in that direction, that's the way you swim as well. I think to your point where you get another set of eyes or a different lens, prism looking at it from different angles is really, really helpful. I, I can be honest in my own career, not a single job that I've had did I know that industry, had I had that experience in the past, but I'm able to develop that knowledge base and to, to your point exactly is that yes it's good to have some industry experience but do you have that leadership ability do you know the policies more importantly in my viewpoint is how do you handle claims it's great to do the insurance deal and all that stuff but the claims aspect of things and, and quite frankly whether it's a billion dollar claim or it's a ten thousand dollar claim it's very important to that organization and i think that needs to be brought forward as well too so i don't to your point i don't have i never had a lot of experience in the hospitality industry which is a vertical that i feel very passionate about and have been done very well in in my career so that area but i mean other than sleeping in hotel rooms i didn't know a whole lot about that the casino industry on that side um i, I was in um, the uh, exposition services business and i went from a public entity into an exposition a global exposition services where we were putting on trade shows all over the world and all that i mean that's a huge chasm to leave a public entity school district in Philadelphia to go to one of the largest 
global exposition companies in the world. So I, I think, you know, to your is exactly to your point. If I'm your exhibit A, please utilize me where you don't always have to have that industry knowledge. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but I think they need to open the eyes of those who are doing the hiring from the C-suite to understand that we have a bigger picture than just that industry. I was just recalling when you and I met you were with GES. Correct. And, you know, the yeah. exhibitor company. Yes. And I was thinking, what a crazy business that is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, forklifts running around and storage and trucks all over the United States and Canada and doing shows in Abu Dhabi and doing, um, you know, the Paris Air Show and all those things. Yeah, a lot of risks and exposures. And I also remember thinking at the time I was an exhibitor. This is at the RIMS conference. Oh, yeah. Right? And I had some issues that I needed help with. And, uh, and I talked to you about it and, you know, my problem was solved <laughs> and, and that's not, it, that wasn't your expertise, but you know, you, you knew the people that were working there and, and, and you helped bridge that communication gap, which, which was great. And I remember like, that's the epitome of what it is to be in business. You know, when you're serving your customers, especially in a, in a show situation, there's a deadline, mm -hmm. you know, this was maybe the day before the show was supposed to open and I had a problem and, you know, it was going to be a disaster if I didn't get it solved. And, uh, and, uh, thank you for that. You got it, you got it solved and, and it was incredible. I would be uh, remiss to say that I remember that because well, I don't well, <laughs> just being very honest well, with you, but I'm glad I helped out. Well, you know, I, I understand that, <laughs> you know, for me, it was life changing because <laughs> no. you know, I was the one responsible for making sure that booth was set up properly and everything Correct. was in order and, and right. uh, it was going to be very uncomfortable for me if I didn't figure that out. But, I, but that goes back to that customer service side of thing. And it's also many times not knowing the industry, but knowing who to connect within the industry. And I, I think that's one of the greatest things about my profession and my industry is if I don't have the answer, I have a plethora of colleagues who have either lived through that situation, have faced that situation, who can help me out. And that, that is the beauty of our industry. And, it, and nine, nine out of 10 times, they'll take your call. They'll, and if they don't know, forget Kevin Bacon and six degrees of separation. Where's two degrees in risk management? If you can't help me, you know somebody who can help me. And that's the beauty of our industry. Yeah, and I think that's a great point as well. You know, it's all about collaboration. Oh, yeah. And sharing and learning from each other. You know, um, I've talked about this in the past also. There was a time when risk managers wanted to really operate in a vacuum. They felt like there was career um, safety, if you will, if no one else knew what they did. <laughs> alchemy, it was basically alchemy, right? <laughs> exactly, so the problem with that, that strategy was when companies were going through tough times, they were you know, looking around for people who were low value people that they could cut. And if they didn't understand the value of what you did, right. you were getting cut. Right. And a lot of those people did get cut. Yeah, which was unfortunate. Yeah, absolutely. But, but there's a lesson learned there. And Huge lesson, and, and, and I'm glad you brought that up in the sense that I've always been pretty transparent with both above, above the ladder and below the ladder to know what we've got. Um, one of the things from a career standpoint that I do most of the time is provide a stewardship report, is what have I done, not just at employee evaluation time, like, oh, here's all the wonderful things I did. Now, I know there's some risk managers who, like, when the sun comes up, they go, hey, look what I did, right? Like, you know, um, they take credit for things maybe they shouldn't have taken credit for. But on the other side, I provide the stewardship report to say, in the last six months, here's what our department was successful in, here's where we weren't as successful, and here's what our plan is for the next six months. And I think giving that to the C-suite, giving it to your boss, or giving it to your boss's boss, or the audit committee, or whomever it is, providing that gives them a template of, hey, there's value add in this risk management department. And I, and I think we have to get out of the mindset of 
that alchemy. And, and to your point, I think there's some that maybe still operate like that, but that's what that I think fostered and developed the enterprise risk management where you've got to look not just in the, I buy insurance, I handle claims and I'm going to maybe do some safety stuff. This is a, what about liquidity risk? What about political risk issues? What about a larger footprint? Because those risks were coming in the door and there was nobody to handle them. And usually it befell finance, who was all irritated because we didn't have the insurance coverage to have that. So you sort of got cut by the sword both ways. You operated in that, you know, siloed approach. You can't do that anymore. I mean, I'm involved in, I'm on one of the key leaders at my company, one of the key leadership committees. And we talk about everything from marketing to legal possibilities to acquisitions to all of those things. And that's an important thing where with risk management, you don't know. You're going to be gone, and and you know to to that point, I think um, many risk management departments sometimes operate under the as being the you viewed as being the department of no and o. You got to change that to the department of K N O W. You've got to know what's going on in your company, know what's going on in the industry, know what's going on in the marketplace, and so don't say no to everything. Just say I need to know more about what's going. on. No, that's a great point. And, you know, the, yes, the traditional perspective of risk management was that here comes the no person. Right. Exactly. Decline that idea. You yeah. know, exactly. Here's, here's the person who's going to tell me why I can't do what I want to do. I'll give you an example. When I was at the school district of Philadelphia, we had uh, inner city kids and, uh, who wanted to go skiing. Well, some of these kids had never seen snow, except when it snowed in Philly and they got a snow day off, right? But these guys, we were going to put these kids up on a mountain somewhere on a ski lift that they'd never been on before. And the immediate reaction was, no, we can't do that. And I'm like, how can we train them to do this, right? So you bolted skis on them, you put them on a little hill outside of, and you trained them on how to fall and all that stuff. Then you put them on the snow and the thing. Of course, we had them sign waivers and bought insurance for them. But on the other side of things, you can't deny the opportunities of growth because then you're stymieing the growth of not only in that case, the students, but you're stymieing the growth of your company overall. So then you would be an advocate of not being risk averse. You're not looking to run away from risk. I'm a risk taker myself. I mean, I drive a motorcycle. I used to I used to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. I love the parachute. That I own a Rottweiler. I mean, I'm you know, I have two teenage daughters. I mean, we all have risks, right? That we've got in place. So I, I think the, the the fact is, is I've never, I've always looked at risk as opportunities, not as a threat. And what did we, and I say this to my daughters when something bad would happen. Okay, we'll fix the problem. Now, what did we learn? What did we figure out? And I carry that over to companies as well too. Not in that fatherly advice type of thing, but more along the lines of, okay, collectively, what was the debrief of what occurred? How do we change that from happening again, that type of thing. So I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not risk averse. I take risks all the time. And I think sometimes in my career, have I made a wrong choice? Oh, 100% of the time. Absolutely. I, I, I can stand here today and say I've made bad choices. But at the end of the day, it was a learning environment. And from there, the company grew, I grew, sometimes my staff grew as well, too, of those that worked for me in my risk management side of things. And I think who you surround yourself with in risk management is hugely important, whether it's a broker, TPA, your colleague risk managers, your risk manager recruiter, whoever that person is, right? Yeah, well, there is that. only one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. So, you know, um, I was just trying to uh, think about it from a uh, uh, more of a senior level standpoint. You know, one of the things I hear about is, you know, in order for risk management to be successful, you really need the buy-in of your senior management team. Yes. 
Uh, in order to get this, the buy-in from your senior management team, they have to be tuned in to what you're doing, why why it makes sense to them. And can you talk a little bit about how you get that buy-in when you're when you're trying to get some support for an, an initiative? Yeah, I think a lot of times where where you are in the a lot of risk managers who we've talked to this exact same thing is you know where am I in the quote unquote pecking order of the company, right? And you've got the board of directors, you've got the you've got the outside C, you have C suite, and then you may be two or three rungs down the ladder, and you in they you know you longingly look up to have that opportunity up there. Um, I think that the opportunity opportunity presents itself more to get the attention, if you will, of that C-suite more along the lines of those, uh, as, as I mentioned, those those reports every year that you can put in two times a year of here's what we're doing, here's the impact we've had. Putting it in financial dollars and cents is very important. Those stewardship reports moving up up is very important. And then in addition to that, I, I mean, we have a situation right now, you know, current hot topic of, of, you know, of coronavirus. That, that, that every company, every risk manager right now should be on point related to what are we doing about it? Snap linking in with their human resource department, figuring out whether we'll travel or those type of things. So there's a situation where that brings value add and that's brought up to that higher level. And I think senior, the senior risk managers or more the seasoned risk managers that have been around for a long time. Sometimes we stop learning. And that's a, I think that's, that's really sad on our part that we think we've seen it all. We've done it all. I know what my broker is going to do. We become predictive. I mean, you don't want to become predictable in risk management, in my viewpoint. I mean, you want solid basic blocking, but you've got to think of opportunities. So you might go to your CFO and say, hey, I, I realize that there's an opportunity here. Maybe we could hedge this commodity that we currently have. Or maybe say, hey, I have an idea. Can I get five minutes of your time just to pitch my idea? That's why that connection and that, as I mentioned earlier on, that sales type of thing, you've got to be able to do that at that level and be able to do it quickly. So practice your elevator speech. Some elevators go 42 floors, some only go 14. So you need to make sure you're quick and to the point. But I just think continuing coming up with ideas. And there have been times where they've said, oh, here comes Lance with some crazy idea. Okay, nine out of the 10 of them might not be, but that 10th one saved the company money or got us in a new direction or we decided to get rid of a certain product or go in, not go into a certain place. So again, I think the more you push yourself and your department, the better off that the company is overall and the shareholders are. And I think what you say, what you said before is really true is that, you know, you really have to start with knowing your business, yep. knowing what's going on, you know, really be a uh, student of your company, so to speak. Because one of the things that always interested me about risk management and why I got into the field of risk management recruiting is I always felt that the risk manager really needs to understand every aspect of the business. And you also need to be forward thinking. So you need to know what's coming to try to anticipate the problems. So when you think about the uh, the coronavirus now, um, similar to the Ebola virus, okay, maybe there's some lessons that that are that were learned for that virus that could be applied to this situation. Absolutely. And you know, I think that a lot of risk managers probably did learn a lot of lessons from that Ebola virus situation. And you know, now you have a, you have a situation. I don't know that anybody saw this coming. No. To me, it seemed like it just kind of popped up. And, uh, and, you know, within a matter of days, it really exploded. And to now you have a quarantine situation, but you've got U.S. employees that are in the quarantine zone. 
So what are you doing with that? They're now being airlifted, a number of them. If you have a business travel accident policy, a BTA, again, the insurance the insurance industry to the rescue type thing, you can bring people out of there, there, but you have to clean that plane. They have to be quarantined once they get to the U.S. I mean, there's a whole host of things for those companies that are operating in, the, in that zone. But, you know, to your point on the Ebola, I know with my company at the time, when we we're looking at it from Ebola, is we have a platform, we have a response, we ha know what we're going to do, et cetera, if in fact we're affected, those type of things. Who was traveling to Africa prior to that? Who's come back? I mean, there was a whole host of things. And again, you need to be sensitive to privacy and those uh, those um, true rights that, that you have. But on the other side of things too, now you simply switch that over to the coronavirus and say, where to your point, what are the lessons learned? But I've already have a built-in platform. I already just can work that up on and mirroring whatever CDC. And I'm not taking CDC out of there. They are a, again, like insurance, they're an arrow in the quiver. But where is your company exposed to that? If you do a lot of business with China, you're much more a higher alert than you do if you don't necessarily. So again, those are the things that you need to be given consideration to. I mean, I flew up here today. There was, you know, I don't know who all my passengers were on the plane or where had they been in China last week? I don't know that. Could I have been exposed? The answer is yes. And so, but you can't shut travel down. Right. At least not yet. I mean, you know, but, but uh, you know, in China, you can, you know, right now, you know, there are quarantine zones. There are people not coming in or out. Right. And from a risk management standpoint, I, I think that that plays that plays into your hand as an opportunity. What's the opportunity that we can take out of that as a learning environment? And what are we going to do now? That's the immediate reaction, but what's long term? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, now is the time that you find out if the plan that you had in place actually works. Actually works. <laughs> right. Or where there are holes in it. Right. You know, and again, I, I teach I, I teach a lot in crisis management and I, I teach other aspects from a risk management standpoint. But one of the things when I teach crisis management is always to expect the unexpected because you may have a great plan. You may be absolutely wonderful. I, I can tell you during Hurricane Katrina, um, one of the casinos we had when we got down there, um, got had our crisis management manual was all ready to go. There was a 680 pound dead sea lion in our parking lot. I didn't see that in the crisis management manual anywhere. I looked under D for dead, S for sea lion. I couldn't find any. What do you do with that? So you don't, you because there was an aquarium down there that let go and we ended up, in a, is it an endangered species? What do I do? So again, you need to expect the unexpected in crisis management. And I think that's part of the trait that a good risk manager has is by being able to stay in control when that snowball gets thrown at you and starts rolling down the hill a lot faster than you thought. So I, I, I believe that that is a inherent characteristic that most risk managers have got to be able to, to your point, no one said, hey, let's sit around and hope a virus comes out of China. No one really thinks about that. But do you have a plan? What's your action plan? You know, and leaning on your broker is important. Leaning on your carrier might be important too. But you as a risk manager have to have that plan in place. So again, it's a teaching moment. Absolutely, absolutely, and and a learning moment, and uh, and hopefully uh, uh, a moment where you know uh, you get to see that your plans and your hard work actually paid off. Exactly, whether it's product recall, whether it's this virus, whether it's that expecting the unexpected to happen, I think you have to kind of have a plan for that, and at least have your resource team together for it. So, some blue sky opportunities is another way to get that board and C suite to go. 
what are you if through a risk register? What are your three things that keep the CEO up at night? That keeps the COO up at night when the CFO and the head of human resources? They all may be different, but again, you've had the opportunity in order to explore that. Yeah, no, good, great points actually. So, um, one last thing I wanted to talk about. So, you know, when you think about your career progression and the things you learned along the way, and you, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's on their way up in their career. Right. So what are some of the key things that you've learned that you think it would be great if you knew that on your way up? Yeah, I've been blessed in the sense of having an opportunity to speak to almost 30 universities who have risk management programs. So, um, uh, you know, it's I've been honored to do that. And so I look at the quote unquote eager young minds there who are going to be the next generation in the risk management in the insurance industry field. And, you know, I'm really proud of what those institutions and universities have done. They're turning out wonderful and and trajectory opportunities. We just need to give them more experience and opportunity as well going forward. But those that are in the industry, um, one of the first things is never stop learning. Um, I I tell that to the students all the time. Students who have graduated and are underwriters or claims people, whatever, they who are in our industry, I always tell them three to five years from now is all, never stop learning. Go get your designations, go to seminars, go to things that will push you outside of your comfort zone. And, and I guess in those that are on their way up, never be afraid to fail. I mean, I've, you know, you may not have that career. I'd say to them, you may do underwriting for a while, you may do claims for a while, but if an opportunity presents itself, never shy away from that opportunity. And as you trajectory move your career up, I think you have to always be willing to step out of your comfort zone and push yourself out of that zone. Um, I'm proud to say that a number of folks who worked for me are now risk managers, full-time risk managers, VPs of risk managers, et cetera, and hopefully nurturing them. Finding a mentor is really important as well, too. And you know, we use the term mentor and we bounce that around. I think it's more of a sounding board. Like, hey, I have this career opportunity or, hey, I'm faced with this. What do you think? Or, you know, um, I'm being wooed by another brokerage firm or wooed by another risk management department. You know, have someone that you can have that dialogue with other than sitting at the bar somewhere having that discussion, which is also cathartic as well, sometimes (laughs) and helpful. But, you know, I I think, you know, and, and again, find that mentor, never stop learning and then being willing to step out of your comfort zone of where you are. I think that that those are probably just my three career advices that have bode, boded well for me because someone would come and say, hey, can you handle this? And I'd say, absolutely, can. And then I'd look at my staff and go, I have no idea how we're going to do this, but let's go do this anyway. Right. right, right. So take some chances, take some risks. And that's what the, the, we're not in the we're in the risk management business not the risk refusal business. And that's what we have to do is manage those risks. Yeah, those are all great points. You know, the one thing I just want to spend another minute on um, is this idea about, you know, being okay with, or rather not being afraid to fail. So, you know, when I think about myself and my own career coming up the trajectory of being a recruiter, you know, there's a lot of pressure when you work in an organization that's looking at you, like, did you do the deal or did you not do the deal? <laughs> right. Did you get them to say yes or did they not say yes? And why? <laughs> and, and all of that. And they don't really care about the why. Right. They only care about the, did you, did you get the deal done? And it was, it was really um, daunting to think about the pressure that I was under at the time growing up into, in, in this recruiting business. So it took me quite a while to get comfortable with the idea that, you know what, you're dealing with people. 
Yeah. Right. Everyone's got their own way of looking at things and their own motivation for doing things or not doing things. So if I'm going to be successful, I have to figure out what's driving those particular individuals. And I have to be willing to accept the fact that, you know, they're not going to always see what I see. And they're going to look at it their own way. And it may not be the right timing for them. Whatever the issue is, it may not be the right thing in that particular point in time. And that's okay. So now I have to make sure that my client realizes that if somebody doesn't accept an offer, you know, that they're not holding me responsible for not having figured this out beforehand, which I still feel that pressure anyway, whether I think they're going to be okay with that or not. I mean, fortunately for me, I've had very, very few offers turned down Mm -hmm. because you do a lot of the, you know, kind of pre analysis of what it's going to take and how it all looks and does it make sense and all that beforehand. That's, I think, you know, just for, from my standpoint, being in the business that I'm in, I think it's really helpful when someone has a sounding board to go through how the, how the particular career opportunity lines up with their goals, with their interests, with the market, with the potential, and you factor all those things in. And, you know, the thing I love is I go through all of that with a lot of my candidates and then it all makes sense. And then they go home and they talk to their spouse. <laughs> and, it, and it takes a bobsled south. <laughs> and, and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> and now the most important thing out of everything is money. There's, yeah, well, yeah, I think it's money. But I, I was aware of a company that was recruiting somebody. They got all the way there, then flew the spouse out. And the spouse looked around and said, oh, my gosh, there's no way this is going to happen. And they had almost all agreed to everything. But I I think the spouse is an integral part. And as we discussed at lunch, I think what you've done over your legacy in the recruiting field has more, not necessarily always just, it's not always about the placement. It's about the correct placement and about getting, you've coached, you've mentored, you've sounded board. And I'm sure you've had to have a hard discussion with a candidate at some point in time saying, I know you really think you want this job, but it's not going to be a good fit for you. And it's a two way street. You got to be happy and the client has to be happy and you have to be happy in your job. And a lot of people chase the dollars and which again is important and it's, it's an important thing, but there, your happiness has a dollar sign to it as well too. If you got to work miserable every single day, then it works both ways. Not that the, not that your client, the company blames you, but sometimes I'm blaming you as the risk manager that you placed me in a terrible company and you sold me a bill of goods. So you get it on both sides. Well, you know, you've said this actually at lunch also, you know, everybody needs a, a throat to choke. Yes, you need one, you need one neck. neck. Yes, one, we, neck. one neck to choke. One and neck to sometimes choke. Sometimes it's your neck to choke, right? right. And, so and, and, so and, I, I get the pleasure of being that neck if it doesn't work out. So I take that responsibility very seriously because I, I, I like my neck the way it is. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I think too, just a real quick, is that what you said, which is preparing the client, preparing the, the, the candidate that you have, et cetera. I think risk managers, we do have to do the same thing. We have to prepare our C-suite for a harder market. We have to prepare our C-suite for the increases we're going to see, the the exclusions that are going to now be in policies. We have to do our homework and make sure that it's right and deliver that message. And always it's not a great message to deliver. I mean, it's like telling a brand new mom her baby's ugly, right? I mean, you got to do it in the nicest possible way you can. I don't know that I would ever do that. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever That's do that a bad either. example. But, but on the other side, I mean, you have to deliver bad news and sometimes you have to deliver good news. 
and you seem all real happy when you're delivering the good news, but you seem like uh, taken aback that you got to deliver bad news. It's the same thing. It's a factual situation. It's news. It is news. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, a lot of risk managers have said, you know, nobody likes surprises. So you know, whatever the situation is, it may be an uncomfortable conversation that you have to have, but you don't want to be, you know, hitting someone over the head with something at the last minute where they can't really have time to process it, and you don't have time to think about it and talk it through and get comfortable with whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And 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 that's really the key. And and I was going to also say that you know. The, tying in the, the importance of communicating and being transparent with your process. You know, when, when a process is going south on you, mm. you know, it's going to be very important that you've briefed whoever you need to brief on the process as you're going through it so that it's not a shock if, if you don't get the renewal rate that you were expecting. You know, uh, you have to have other people who are aligned with you and who you're collaborating with. That first of all, you're giving them an opportunity to have input along the way. So they have to share ownership <laughs> of the result. Now I got two necks to choke. You know, <laughs> if, if you're involving them, it's right. always better to have another neck to choke. Yes, exactly. You know, but um, if, you, if you really keep all that to yourself and then lo and behold, here's the result. We had a hard market and, and you know, we had a 15% rate increase that we weren't expecting. Well, yeah, then you're going to be in trouble. I think that number's higher in the marketplace, right? Fifty percent might be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so. but then uh, you know, if if your mar if your number is in line with the market, then this is what the market is. And you know, if I were the broker on that account, I would hope that I've prepared my client for the reality of the market. And you know, and if you if a if you surprise a client with a number like that mm -hmm. that they weren't expecting, I mean, then it's going to be your neck. Right. Well, but that's that communication piece that I think is so integral and so important that I, and it is one of the things when, as I mentioned, I spoke to a number of universities and their professors and I say, drive your kids in electives to a communications class, how to present, how to not put your hands in your pockets while you're presenting to 20 people, how to, you know, make eye contact, how to shake a hand. That communications class is so integral right now. And, and as much as we hide behind our computers all the time and are live, live and die by texting, I, I really think it still remains a people business, which is one of the reasons I, I love our industry. I love being a risk manager because it's still pressing the flesh. As our company says, get belly button to belly button with somebody in order to have that conversation in that direction. And I, I think that's integral, whether you're a broker, a TPA, a reinsurer whoever, or a risk manager, Get that communication ability to communicate. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, I think this has been great. You know, nice. I know I know we can go on and on and on about this stuff. And maybe we'll do a, a second episode one day. But I, I really live streaming on Netflix, Lance. You know, uh, we'll do a video. You know, <laughs> that'd be absolutely. great. Absolutely. So, uh, thank you very much for your time. It's been great having you. Always, Mike. And, and again, I go back to what I said in the very beginning. You've done a great service to our industry and to the risk management community, and we're very grateful to you. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go, brought to you by Key Strategies LLC, the US insurance and risk management recruitment specialists. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. And if you have any specific career-related questions, please post them or send an email directly to Mike at mtenenbaum at keystrategies.com. He may even answer your question on the show. When you subscribe, you'll also get notifications of when the next episode is available. 
hope you join us next time. Bye.